If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast all in one place. They have tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. So download the Anchor app on Apple or Android or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Now back to the good part. Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. My name is Curtis Wilson, along with my co-host. Ryan Siegler, what's up, buddy? How you doing? Buddy, sipping a brouhaha, listening to the storm roll here in the West End, uh, watching a little sports on TV. What about you? Man, living the dream over here in Mechanicsville. Had a little uh, little takeout Chinese for dinner. Ooh. Been just, uh, you know, one of them kickback nights, so hadn't been... Uh, too stressful at all, buddy. I do like a little bit of the storm rolling in, though. Oh, yeah. I like summer storms are the best, man. And then it's even really nice being in the cave, watching a little baseball, watching a little basketball. The hockey playoffs have begun tonight. So, <laughs> yeah. I, I like playoffs? Playoffs. <laughs> One versus the eight, Steve. Philly versus Montreal. I kind of like what hockey did. The way they, hey, top four seeds, you ain't guaranteed play. We'll rank you after that, and then the rest of them, play your way in. Get a five-game series win. I, I like the way they did it. I kind of wish the uh, NBA had did that. I think it would have been fun to see, like, the, you know, the bottom two seeds playing two other seeds in, like, a five- or seven-game series. Yeah. That'd be uh, pretty sweet. So, um, You could definitely yeah, dial it up a little bit more and get, get a little bit more, uh, I don't know, high stakes, yeah. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Although what Dame Lillard did last night, you as a Lakers fan, uh, I'm sure you, that was not like, okay, this is what we're going to have to play in the first round. God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Dame can keep talking shit to the Clippers, though. That's all good. <laughs> He's not afraid to talk shit to anybody, including the Skip Bayless FU. I saw the tweet this morning. I was like, Jesus. And I read some things. There's Skip doing what Skip does. It was pretty funny, man. Uh, how's your weekend, dude? Oh, man. It was a uh, pretty relaxing weekend, man. Pretty relaxing weekend. Got a little yard work done. Um, nothing too bad. I did was fighting a little bit of a stomach bug a couple days ago, but we're past that now. All good now. What about what about you? I know you uh, were out of town. Had some uh, had some traveling. Oh yeah, traveling. Uh, my niece got married this weekend down in uh, Fort Chiswell, Max Meadows area. So about forty minutes south of Blacksburg. Wedding was beautiful. Um, I had a very interesting adventure Friday night after the 
uh, rehearsal dinner. We get back to the hotel room. We are about to, uh, we're, we're slowly getting ready to get the boys a bath, get ourselves showers, and the little one falls off, bumps his head. He cries, seems okay. Give him bath, they play, they watch a little bit of TV, and then he called dinosaurs. Um, and just, you know, the head bump. So we ended up calling my sister and the future mother and my, my, the future, my, niece's future mother-in-law they're both nurses like if he bumped in through just just take him in like you don't want anything makes sense right well he proceeded to do that two more times and you know i, I kind of sacrificed and said honey i'll go into the hospital um so essentially we were in there till 3 a.m all sorts of uh you know they they Test. Took him out yeah they, they, you know they they give they they actually went with the CT scan. Everything was fine by three o'clock in the morning. He was just fine, but that made the next day very long and the rest of the weekend extremely long. Because um, it's kind of funny, Brian. Schedule drops Thursday. Me and you text us, hey Brian, it's anniversary. You know, I, I, we're gonna get some. We're gonna do a little dinner here at the house. And you're like, oh cool. We'll just do it Sunday when we get back. I text you Sunday. Tell you the situation, you're like, oh God. Like, oh, yeah. And then we just put it off till Monday. It's fine. We'll talk about the schedule. Brian, me and you start looking at Twitter feeds and news reports on Monday, and it's like, oh shit. Let's hit the fan. All, all hell is breaking loose in college football. And it's like, we text, we call, like, okay, we, we've got to put it off a little longer. We cannot start discussing schedule and look like buffoons if the season gets called. <laughs> season gets called, or, I mean, even if, you know, things get pushed back to the spring, it's like, well, now we've talked about something that's not happening for six months. All right. <laughs> All right. It, it did. And, and, and I'm sure, Boundary Corner listeners, you guys probably right on top of it like we are. Pac-12, Big Ten, have effectively postponed, canceled their seasons until the spring. At, at first, Brian, give me just what's your first thought when you saw it? Big Ten was first, followed by the Pac-12. What was your like? What was your initial just thoughts on it? Like just what changed since they since the Big Ten t- uh, brought out their schedule? Since both brought out their schedule. <laughs> We're like, they're salivating, discussing, ooh, Pac-12 after dark games. Yeah. Ooh, Michigan, Ohio State early. Some other good games early. Uh, just, yeah, same like what has changed. Um, and, and I think we're going to hit that in a few minutes here. But it was just like it was kind of out of left field. It's even more out of left field that they're doing this. They're doing this. Okay, okay, cool. You're doing it. So you're closing your universities, right? No, not to my knowledge. I've not seen a lot of big people come back and say, oh, yeah, Ohio State's virtual, Michigan's virtual, Penn State's virtual. Seems like the students are still coming back. So um, it seems like even the ones that are pushing to a mostly online or full online uh, situation are still they still want the students on campus. Yep. Because some students have to be on campus. True. So it seems like there is a push for anyone that can to be on campus to be on campus for whatever reason. Um, my guess is some sort of monetary reason, but. 
that's neither uh, here nor there. But um, Curtis, you, did, did you uh, did you see some of the uh, the statements that came out as far as the reasoning? Yeah, uh, let, let's 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 both read. Let's just read both statements. Okay. I'm going to do the Big Ten, Brian. I think you have the Pac-12 there. Yep. So this is the Big Ten statement. <clears throat> the mental and physical health and welfare of our student-athletes has been at the center of every decision we have made regarding the ability to proceed forward. As time progressed and after hours of discussion with our Big Ten Task Force for emerging infectious diseases and the Big Ten Sports Medicine Committee, it became abundantly clear that there was too much uncertainty regarding potential medical risk to our student athletes to compete this fall. For many months, we had hoped to return to fall collegiate sports might be an opportunity to restore some sense of normalcy and provide brighter moments for our university, our city, our state. The first statement there was from Kevin Warren. The second statement there was from Wisconsin's Rebecca Blank with Barry Alvarez. Uh, last kind of piece of that from the Wisconsin folks. Even so, today's decision by the Big Ten to postpone the fall 2020 sports season is the correct one. Hmm. What, what did the Pac-12 say? All right, so let's start with uh, Larry Scott, Pac-12 commissioner. Health, mm-hmm. safety, and well-being of our student-athletes and all those connected to the Pac-12 sports has been our number one priority since the start of this current crisis. Our student-athletes, fans, staff, and those who love college sports would like to have seen the season played this calendar year as originally planned, and we know how disappointing this is. Um, Then we also have uh, from the uh, president of the University of Oregon, all the Pac-12 presidents and chancellors understand the importance of this decision and the disappointment it will create for our student-athletes, the coaches, support staff, and all other fans. Ultimately, our decision was guided by science and a deep commitment to the health and welfare of student-athletes. We certainly hope that the Pac-12 will be able to return to competition in the new year. All right. I'm, I'm going to say something for both of these. If the well-being it was so much concern we had a cancel, what a bleep did you bring them back on campus two and a half months ago? Any explanation with that, Brian? Any reasoning? No, because if if – if you knew this was the ultimate outcome or if you knew you were potentially still had this option on the table without playing any games and seeing what was going to happen, then you shouldn't have brought them back. And you definitely shouldn't have put out a schedule like the season was about to start up in five weeks. It's very true. You're already, so you're already unmitigating your risk by doing that. We're going to bring them on campus. We're going to do this. We're going to have them train. We're going to do all this. And it's like, Wait a second. You said you're all about their health and well-being. The most healthy and well-being would have been, nope, until we feel you guys are secure to play, we're not going to bring you on campus. They didn't. Yeah. So there's a lot of hypocrisy in those statements, in my opinion. You yeah. could be wrong. But, I, um, I mean, I, I see something else playing out here um, <laughs> that seemed to coincide a little bit with a lot of these decisions. Oh, what was that um, you know, we, we had players that came together in the Pac-12, then later players that came together in the Big Ten. <laughs> List of demands, talking about potentially wanting to create a association of, of college athletes, um, ha- wanting to have a universal protocol for um, COVID across the nation, not just dictated by the conferences. Um 
And then all of a sudden, that's when this the winds of change started to blow through and, you know, a couple of these conferences get cold feet because nothing in terms of the data that they were analyzing changed, at least to my knowledge. Nothing yeah. has been put out that said, okay, well, the numbers were here two weeks ago and now they're here now. I mean, to to my knowledge, nothing has changed that would have dictated a, hey, we're announcing the schedule and in 48 hours we're meeting to – determine whether or not we were going to play this season. Absolutely. The players making those statements, talking about banding together, talking about having an association, wanting a seat at the table, asking for more, that to me, they can say all they want about, oh, it's liability. Dude, you're – I was talking to my neighbor tonight, man, and me and you talked about it. You're bringing kids back to campus. Liability is already there. Yeah. Liability is there. It is. You, you yeah, I mean, as, as soon as they're on your campus, you have some degree of liability. So. You're liability there. Um, so it, it kind of makes no sense. But then this happens, and it's almost like it's almost like these two conferences are thinking, you know what, we're going to try to squash this. We're just going to end your season. That's cool. What they probably haven't thought about is there's three other pretty big players, and we'll get to those in a little while. But – Sunday night, as we were, as kind of the trickle started talking about potentially cancellations happening, um, say, say what you want. I know people are saying he's not the spokesman for the collegiate football players, but he is probably the biggest name, and that was the Trevor Lawrence statement. Um, you don't mind, Brian, I'm going to read his tweet real quick. It's pretty yeah. long. People are at just as much, if not more, risk if we don't play. Players will all be sent home to their own communities where social distancing is highly unlikely and medical care and expenses will be placed on the families if they were to contract COVID-19. Not to mention the players coming from the situations that are not good for them and their future are having to go back to that. Football is a safe haven for so many people. We are more likely to get the virus in everyday life than playing football. Having a season also incentivizes. Players being safe and taking all the right precautions and try to avoid contracting COVID because the season teammates safety is on the line without the season. As we've seen already, people will not social distance or wear masks or take proper precautions. And a little while later, the release on Monday, we want to play. Um, and that started a big movement amongst a bunch of players uh whether it was seniors or underclassmen yep. from players across the country both in conferences that were talking about canceling and in conferences that um you know hadn't made that move yet or ha- weren't having those discussions to that degree at that time so you know we saw you know for virginia tech trey turner was kind of the leader on that front for us yep. um stepping up making that statement and um, you know, a lot of other guys followed suit on the team. So I think yeah. a lot of the guys on the team want to play. Yep. Um, and, and not just, I think the biggest thing that uh, the biggest takeaway from this whole thing, especially the we want to play part of it is the whole idea of we're supportive of people that want to opt out, but give us the option to opt in. Yeah. That I think is- that's, that's the, that's kind of the biggest takeaway from what most people were saying. You know, there, there, there are some, some degrees of wanting to have a little bit more 
communication and say so within the framework of what this season's going to look at look like and that was part of what Trevor Lawrence tweeted out that was part of what some of these other guys tweeted out but I think like I said the underlying thing there though is I think you know we need to be supportive of guys that want to opt out we need to be supportive of guys that want to opt in and let's figure out how to do this as safely as we can that is absolutely correct. In this situation, there is no wrong answer of what they want to do. You want to opt out because there's, you just don't feel safe. You're, you want to be able to be around your family. You know, you know, you have some underlying medical things that in normal circumstances really wouldn't be a factor. That's fine. You want to opt in because, listen, I love this game. I'm a sophomore. I need this season to create my draft stock. I don't have the season to create my draft stock. I'm sitting here next year. I'm not. Maybe it's one of these guys that isn't that high on the boards. But if they go out and have a breakout season, Caleb farted last year. Yeah. Caleb was looked at as eh, potential cornerback. He goes out and balls last season, and now he is looked at as a first round guy. Yeah. That in his sophomore season, he's already built it there. But they're guys who don't have that chance and. Those are the guys that, that kind of need it. And then the way Trevor talked about being sent home, because the weird part is right now, you know, Clemson's not going to let kids on campus until the 22nd, or was it the 15th or 22nd of September? I'm assuming a lot of these guys can't stay there. Or if they're yeah. staying, yeah. You know, and if they can stay there, that's fine. But then there's more hypocrisy. Hey, you can't play football. Well, cool, I'll go home. Well, you, well, you know, you need to stay here because we're going to keep training. What? That's what the Big Ten's doing. Are you still going to train twenty hours a week? Like, yeah, and you know, let let, let's talk about Blacksburg a little bit here. I mean, we're talking about roughly twenty thousand potentially students being on campus or in the Blacksburg area between whether it's off campus housing, student athletes, incoming freshmen. Um, You know, for the most part, they are going virtual. classes but at the same time they still are expected to be on campus yep um because there are certain resources that they may or may not be able to access from a remote location and they i I think in a lot of ways they it they make more money off of students when they're on campus so (laughs) that's that that's been a theme of uh, unfortunately to a negative extent that's been a theme of what we've been seeing um from a uh, academic side of this and the organizational side is that Virginia Tech has in some cases not been the greatest at, I guess, a, giving the students a little bit of a uh, bit relief when it comes to the financial side of things. It's almost like they've ratcheted up the financials, you know, to twist the the screws into the students while giving them a product that is less than what they've been accustomed to in the past. So that, that's a problem as well. But, you know, we're, again, we're talking about 20,000 people in the greater Blacksburg area that weren't there a month ago. Yep. And athletes that even if they play or not are expected to stay on campus. Yep. You can't tell me that the structure that a football season has is not better for the athletes than whatever not having a season is going to be. And that's kind of been my point of view here is that, you know, I don't think people understand that for the most part, even during the season, a student athlete's day is very regimented. I mean, you've got, you know, 
morning lift or morning run, you've got class, you've got lunch, you've got class, you've got film, you've got practice, you know, you've got another meal, you've got um, study you hall, know, you've got study hall, you've got, you got trainers. I mean, there, there's so much that you're doing in a typical day. You know, there's not a lot of hours that you're calling your own where you can make even those bad choices. So, you know, that that type of structure is going to be good in these scenarios. Um, you know, I get the potential added risk of being in close proximity with, you know, 80 other people during practice and, you know, 55 people on a, on a trip. But at the same time, if you're not doing that, there's a very good likelihood that you're going to be in close proximity with people in dorm rooms in close proximity with people in common areas or areas where food is served. Most people with more free time on their hand are going to end up doing more social activities and it's going to create more interactions. So at well, some point we need to take, take stock of if they're on campus together, they're at risk regardless of whether football is being played or not. Absolutely. And, and you made so many points about the regiments, rigid schedules, but also they don't, what the big 10 and Pac 12 has done is they've taken the carrot away from the players. Yeah. They've taken it away. Instead of saying, hey, listen, you guys need to be very disciplined. You need to wear your mask. You need to social distance. You need to wash your hands. You need to do all these things so you can play. So you can put that tape out there. They don't have it anymore. Even the normal student body doesn't have that more at those universities. Because you know what? Even though the horseshoe, the big house, Austin Zoo, there's going to be nobody this year. You don't tell me those kids want to sit in their dorm rooms and hang out with their roommates and watch the game. Where's the incentive now to be more rigid where somebody's you see a player walk on campus like, hey, I need to pull up my mask. I need to I need to think about this because I want to see my university play the football game. Yeah, there's no care. It's just kind of like, well, okay, what do we do? Well, we should do these things. Yeah, but what's the incentive? Well, you don't want to get it. Well, hell, nobody wants to get it. Jesus, Lord. But to your point, take all that away. Even 20 hours a week, like the Big Ten's doing, they're going to have a lot more downtime. They're going to be hanging out with a lot more people. I guarantee you some of them are going to be at bars, parties, other social events. I, I, I heard Barton Simmons, 247 guy today, say it. He says, and and I hope he's right. He says, I really hope the Big 12, the ACC, and the SEC can pull it off. And he said, here's why. Because then you're going to have a comparison. If the Big 10 and the Pac-12 continue to test, as do the ACC, because clearly if they're playing, they're going to be testing two, three times a week. Yeah. Who has more cases by the end of the semester? And he says, you want to make a bet? He's like, I'll make a bet. Make a bet. It's going to be those schools playing because those kids have incentive where the other schools do not. And okay. I'm with that. Yeah. I'm with that 100%. I'm going to give some real talk to you. Go. And and you can attest to this because you witnessed some of it firsthand. Yeah. Um, real talk. Some football players drink and do drugs. <laughs> no shit. Also real talk, when it was the season, most of those people that did those things did not do those things. <laughs> and there was a uh, 
unofficial rule by the coaching staff that after Wednesday's practice, you don't touch alcohol till after the game. And you will be surprised the number of football players that didn't. <laughs> you were one of them. Exactly. Curtis can attest. Thirsty Thursday. I was a DD. <laughs> Many times, Mr. Siegler, on Friday nights before games, my first year at Longwood, you could not sleep. You're, you were jacked. You needed about four hours of sleep, which means you used to get back to your dorm room about, what, 3 a.m. You'd drive over and just like, where do you need to go tonight, man? And I'm just like, all right, brother. Didn't touch, you didn't touch a drop of alcohol. You just hung out. You chit-chatted. Now, usually after the game, you'd be like, hit me up about five. <laughs> I got to go get a nap now because I've been up. For the, but, again, it was set out there. And, Ron, your time while you were playing, did you ever have anybody get busted? And, basically, I'm sure the coaches were like, bye, you're not playing. Yeah, we had a couple guys that uh, that set out um, at least the first half of some games or set out the whole game. We had a couple guys that got um, – Put in the the Farmville uh, jail overnight for being drunk in public, Ooh. and uh, you know the the funny story was you know the first thing we had one guy that was a real real jokester. So the first thing he asked when he got put in there, he's like, "I want a Bible and a copy of the Constitution brought to my cell now." Ah, <laughs> uh, jeezy. But again, you just make the point: the rules out there, and I'm sure the rules would have been out there of for those schools playing. After we test on Wednesday, you need to be nowhere else. You yep. need to be your class, where you sleep, or on the facilities. But it's gone now for them. Now, for the other conferences, Brian, a lot came down after the Big Ten statement. Now, let's start with, the, of course, the ACC. Um, released from the Atlantic Coast Conference's statement, the ACC will continue to make decisions based on medical advice inclusive to our medical advisory group, local and state health guidelines, and do so in a way that appropriately coincides with the university's academic missions. The safety of our students and overall campus communities will be our top priority, and we are pleased with the protocols being administered by our 15 campuses. We will continue to follow our process that has been placed for months and has served us well. We understand the need to stay flexible and be prepared to adjust to medical information in the landscape of balls. That was released from the whole committee committee. And then there was a statement from essentially the guy leading this group. His name is Dr. Cameron Wolf. He is a Duke infectious disease specialist. And basically his, you hear what he's saying. It, it gives you some hope. He says that we believe that we can mitigate it down to the level that makes everyone safe. Can we safely have two teams meet on the field? I will say yes. Will it be tough? Yes. Will it be expensive and hard and lots of work? For sure. But I do believe you can sufficiently mitigate the risk of bringing COVID onto the football field or into training rooms at a level that is no different than ready living as a student on campus. A couple other things he said here, Brian. I, I know you read the article, but I just want to highlight these for those who didn't. You can't tell me that running onto a football field is supposed to be a zero risk environment. <laughs> yes. Yep. <laughs> Look at all the other regular sporting injuries that we accept it as a certain level of risk as part of the parcel of football. Now, the reality is we have to accept a little bit of COVID risk to be part of that. Um, 
Then it discusses the concerns about myocarditis, that inflammation of the heart. Um, and, you know, that is a concern. But, Brian, does it shock you that a virus could cause myocarditis? No, because anything up to the common cold can cause myocarditis. So Shocking. Um, most anything that is a virus that causes any sort of fever can potentially cause myocarditis. So does it, it does not shock me one bit. COVID could potentially cause it because it causes it at a higher risk. Potentially. That's probably something we're not going to know for 15 years. Yeah. That that's just honest. There's things we learn every day. Things we eat. Oh, you shouldn't probably eat that. It causes this uh, crap. Let me not, let me not buy that meat anymore. Let me buy Turkey. There's things we've had in our past, like, you know, sicknesses, and now we're having problems, and you get asked at the doctor, have you ever had this before? Well, yeah, I had it when I was in my 20s. You're seeing the after effects 15 years later. That's That, that shouldn't be shocking to anyone. It shouldn't be. And should we take this disease seriously? Yes. But if you're trying to look for every long-term thing, then you're never going to leave your house ever again because every day there is something that you did 10 years ago that could affect you today. So don't give me that. Now, this guy, Cameron Wolf, legitimately, um, first of all, he's not a good old Southern boy. He is actually an Australian, which, so anybody trying to paint. He's the, the original picture, Southern boy. Huh? <laughs> the original Southern, Southern, Southern boy. boy. So anybody <laughs> trying to paint the picture of, well, he's just doing whatever they say to get this season in. I wouldn't say that. He's from Australia. He graduated from the University of Melbourne back in 2000. And he's been a fellow with the infectious diseases at Duke since 2007, as essentially that was where he did his work. And if you look like I didn't see some of his publications, um, he's already done some stuff on COVID. He's done some other things concerning, you know, some cardiac stuff. The guy's smart. And, you know, you hear him in the words that he's talking about of how to play. He's already putting it out there. It is going to be tough. And I'm sure what he's preaching is what they're preaching inside those facilities in the ACC. Like, you can't screw up. This is going to be hard. This is going to be tough. And likely one or two slips, it could end the season. Just know that. And, you know, he's also a realist with some of the other stuff. So, you know, the guy that's leading the ACC, you hear his background you see, you know, what he has studied. You also see, I think I sent it to you today, Brian, um, the Redskivin, the drug that Giod, he was one of the phase three doctors on that. They're trying to get that FDA approved. Um, and, you know, reading the article and having a couple discussions with some people in the medical field, you know who you are. I would have shouted you out, but I can't. Because I didn't ask you. It's not, a, it's not a game changer. It's not. But the, the way he put it was, it's going to help strain on the hospitals. It's not a game changer. It's not going to cure it. It's not this great drug, but it's going to help a little bit. And when you hear a guy, he's doing that type of work, it tells me that the guy that's leading this, if he ever feels that there is a situation where it can't be done, he's going to come out and just say it. Because I don't think he will put his career out. For one football season. Yeah, my, my takeaway from reading that is, is that it had the potential to be helpful in the same way 
that hydroxychloroquine is, but without the side effects that come with that in a lot of cases. We won't go any deeper than that on this subject because <laughs> just mentioning that word is has political connotations and we're not trying to get down that, that path right now. But just based on the, the discussions you had and the the reading I've done, it kind of that's the idea is that the idea is to get those hospital stays either lower or to mitigate something that is manageable come becoming something that's not manageable. So, you know, well, if, if that moves forward, that's a good thing. And obviously having someone with that level of knowledge on the subject being the person that's in the decision chair for this, for the ACC is pretty big. Absolutely. So Brian, we, we've heard what, you know, kind of the top guy at the S at the ACC has said, the guy who's leading it. Um, what has the SEC said about this? So their commissioner came out, uh, Greg Sankey. Uh, I, I look forward to learning more about the factors that led the Big Ten and Pac-12 leadership to take these actions today. I remain comfortable with the thorough and deliberate approach that the SEC and our 14 members are taking to support a healthy environment for our student-athletes. We will continue to further refine our policies and protocols for a safe return to sports as we monitor developments in COVID-19. In a continued effort to support, educate, and care for our student athletes every day, um, they have not released their schedule yet, but they have never really moved off of the fact that they were going to be playing. They haven't given us the dates yet, which sucks. <laughs> yeah. Damn, like just release it. We need to know when these games are. Yep. Because there's already been some discussions. Because I'm looking now at the Big Twelve schedule. Um, there's already been a couple of discussions, like couple of like the week we play UNC, it's like us UNC, FSU, um, Carolina, or no FSU Notre Dame, um, couple of the like the, the if, Big Twelve. It's like a couple really big games that weekend. If there's like, any SEC games of note that week, it's gonna be a packed weekend. It's gonna be like get you, get you, get your bottle ready. Be close to a bathroom because you're not going to leave the TV for probably close to 12 hours. Get yourself three TVs in one room. You got to have a command center. <laughs> got to. All right. Um, so he said that clearly they're pushing forward. But the big, big domino that people thought might fall after the first two was the Big 12. Big 12 came out today. Big 12 presidents are going to allow the conference to move forward toward a season, and a revised Big 12 schedule is going to be released after approval from the ADs after tonight's meetings. Schedules released. Um, they are going to start the 26th of Big 12 play. I think they have games leading up to that in the few prior weeks. Yep. Um, you know, what they're doing nine plus one, right? They're doing nine plus one. They play everybody anyway, but they're doing that additional game. But they're doing that before the, the – they're not – unlike the ACC where the ACC is essentially letting the plus ones be wherever. Yep. Big 12 is like it's either going to be the weekend of the 19th or the 12th. You're getting a warm-up. This is when you're playing. Um, I'll tell you one thing they didn't do. What's they that? Didn't, they didn't fuck a team like they did in the ACC and have a bye week as the last week of the season. That's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah, this is their normal, though. They play. Everybody plays. It's nine teams. Um, first weekend, I mean, I see three very interesting games with Iowa State, TCU, 
Oklahoma, Kansas State, and um, Okie State versus West Virginia. You know, that's that Kansas State beat Oklahoma last year about what fourth week, fifth week of the season. Yeah, like there's freaking Oklahoma. Me and you texted on that game. We're like, they cannot stop the run. Like, is- do something. <laughs> He's Fire like, fuck with the stick. Do something. something. You as an offensive lineman loved it because it's just like they're just annihilating them in the trenches. But then you're like, like, this is terrible. Like, you could do like load the box, fill the gaps, make them throw the ball. Like, nah, nothing. Um, so after that domino kind of I'm not gonna say falls, but after that domino kind of stands, we've now got three teams that are essentially are moving forward. The power three. The power three. Um, you know. So we see that, but, you know, for those, for the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, you know, they're saying, oh, we're looking at a spring season. Hey, Brian, you you played football up until you were in your, you know, early 20s. Is there any possible way, minimum, could a team minimally play 19, 20 games in the course of eight months? No. Okay. So, I, shall I elaborate? <laughs> you can elaborate if you want. Go for it. Go for it. Just just so people understand. Okay. So, number one, if you play in the spring, your best players will not be playing because they will be preparing for the draft. So, in, <laughs> Ohio State will now have Justin Fields. Bye. Sewell, the big left tackle out of Oregon, absolutely looks like he's going to be an absolute freak in the NFL. Bye. Bateman, who's already opted out in Minnesota, one of the top receivers, goodbye. Micah Parsons, all-world linebacker at Penn State, goodbye. You know, I scroll down a little more here. You know, the uh, Walker Little offensive lineman out of Stanford, no, they're not going to play. No. So – don't get me wrong. You go, you go from your your best players playing in the fall, potentially opting out, to 100% they're all opting out. They will they, not play. They will not play. <laughs> That's so, not even counting the people if, if – and we, we still haven't had this discussion. What if we're not completely out of COVID? There's probably going to be some kids that say, not, not, I'm, I'm opting out. I'm not going to play. There's still going to be underclassmen opt-outs. Um, you also talk about – so I like to I like to term this. There, there's a cycle of an NFL season and then the cycle of an NFL offseason. There's a cycle of a collegiate season and the cycle of a collegiate offseason. Okay. And what you're essentially saying is that you don't get a offseason. I mean, you're talking about playing games from January to early April and then having two months before you're gearing up for fall camp. Well, 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 Brian, let's let's just talk about this. Most, let's just go through the normal beginning of a year. Most teams, their last game is in January, whether it be early or a couple weeks in, if you want to play the national championship. How much? How much? You're usually given how much of a break? You probably get two to three weeks um, after the season ends. Nothing. Yeah, nothing. Um, you might do. You're, you might be doing stuff on your own, but there's no organized activities. You, I mean, you're expected to not gain 30 pounds, but <laughs> at the same time, you're not expected to 
be in game shape either. So you've got three weeks where you're pretty much, you're just working out to not become a fat ass. Uh, <laughs> but there, there's nothing organized about it. There's no, there's no team activities. It's, it's essentially don't gain a ton of weight over the holidays. <laughs> but then even after that, you you kind of mentioned to me when we were talking about this, it's a buildup. You're not going out there after the third, second, third, or fourth week. You're not going full bore. No. It's a gradual, in the month of February, kind of a gradual lead up for two or three weeks. And then the last few weeks, you're going hard. But then after that, after the we, we see it. We see the Hilgart photos every year as Virginia Tech fans. But then what happens in early March? You dial it back a little bit. You get ready for spring practice. You, you take about a week off that you're not doing those as much of those official activities, and then you're rolling into, um, you know, spring practice, spring ball, um, where things become more regimented again. You're looking at, you know, lifts. You're looking at film sessions, and you have actual practices in that period of time. But again, these these are practices where you're going hard, but it's still not a prepping for the week situation and it's definitely not a fall camp we're gonna run you ragged to the point where you know we're trying to get you in shape for the next 10 to 12 weeks of a season type situation so spring ball is still a little different in that aspect because it is more about the prepping the learning the getting your body right and seeing kind of what you can and what you can't do versus those hardcore um, battles that you sometimes see um, in fall camp leading up to the start of the season. Absolutely. But then even after that, you're talking about usually it's May in the early parts of June where, they're, again, they're, they get to dial it back. They're not it's, – it's very little organized. Then they get into June. Most kids are getting back on campus. Now, some have vacations and stuff, but that's when you're seeing more organized stuff leading into August. Yeah. I mean <laughs> – you, you mentioned it. There's just no way. The, the guys' bodies, they're 18 to 22-year-olds. There's a couple older guys, you know, and people talk about the NFL. You mentioned to me the way you – mention say how you said it earlier because when you said it, it made like this logical graduated effect. If you look back just like in terms of like a, a athlete coming through the year. So in middle school, most – six or seven games in a, in a typical season plus whatever sort of um, championship game potentially that, that they have on the, on the field. So somewhere between six and eight games, you play JV, you're talking about an eight game schedule with a potential championship game in there. Then varsity, you got 10 plus whatever the state playoffs are, depending on how far you go. Um, you get to college. It's a 12 game season for most people, plus whatever bowl games or, um, you know, games you have there. So there's a, there's a graduated effect of as you get older, you're adding games. So your body is getting more used to it gradually. Now, what you're essentially saying here is that instead of like in the NFL, where you have a group of rookies that are getting used to a 16 game schedule, plus whatever the playoffs is, you're talking about your entire roster <laughs> is adjusting to that because you're playing 20 games in what nine calendar months, 10 calendar months, whatever it is. I mean, and you're only getting about two to three months in the middle there. I mean, at some point your body needs to recover and it needs to recover and that it needs to 
build a foundation towards that next season. And you're not getting that by playing in the spring. So I think there's inherent medical problems that could come from that. Um, whether it be not having enough time for a serious injury. I mean, you're essentially saying if you get a serious injury in the spring, you're not playing in the fall. No, it's not, not like, I mean, it, it, we're not talking about just like things like Achilles or ACLs or things like that. We're talking about anything that requires more than an eight week time frame. You're potentially jeopardizing part of your next season in the recovery process. Uh, I mean, absolutely. So, you know, we, we've already kind of hit on money. Um, you know, some people are saying, you know, how is this going to affect, you know, we, we've already, it's going to affect communities. Don't even say it. It's not even a question you're going to see for, for those in those communities up there. It, potentially you could go back in two years and the bars that you like to go to is gone. You know, the little mom and pop shop you always stopped at before you tailgated is gone. That's the dire consequences of the money part. Now, as far as the schools go, um, I, I've told you my opinion, Brian, numerous times just on all conversations. If you were to tell me right now the ACC were to cancel football this year, here's exactly what I think the Athletic Department of Virginia Tech looks like. All non-revenue sports are cut. There would be five sports left. Five. What you got? Six, excuse me. I missed one there. Clearly football, men's basketball, women's basketball, baseball, softball, and wrestling. That would be it. That would be the only ones left. Um, A, softball, baseball, you do get enough of a crowd to probably cover the expenses of a season. Um, The wrestling programs have a very good line of boosters that you see donate. It's also the top a top tier program. You're not going to get rid of that. And then clearly the basketball programs, you always have the option with March Madness to bring in extra money to pay for the program. That's a lot of sports cut. And I think you would see that at most every school that there would be a bare bones minimum. Um, and, and, I, and I think you would still see, have to see austerity measures put in place on a lot of the programs, even to maintain that, yeah. whether it be coaches, coaches taking a percent cut for a season you know, whatever it may be, I think you would still have to see that even if you have to operate without the non-revs. So, I, I mean, I think you're you're right on track there. I mean, I think that's going to be option number one is is to get the the non-revs cut, and it, it's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, but at some point, the money's got to come from somewhere. Yeah. And you're not going to cut sports that have the potential to bring in revenue for the school. So at some point, if, if there's operating costs without anything coming back in, it doesn't make sense to tell someone else you have to take a 40% pay cut because you've got to fund this thing over here. I mean, at some point that that's the decision that's going to have to be made. You know, we talk about, you know, the schools and the money. I mean, let's talk a little bit about, how some of the player agency has worked in this, in this whole thing, both from, you know, we talked about earlier with the opting out and then wanting to opt in and things like that. But also, you know, we had a little bit of an update here about NCAA eligibility that came out just before we started recording here. Um, You know, we're looking at a potential of, 
you know, guys that play less than 50% of the season, whether it be because they opted out after they started or whether it be because the season was shut down, getting um, essentially an extra year of eligibility on top of the five years that they're initially granted by the NCAA. Well, so, how, yeah. how does that work for if they play in the spring? It's not stated in this. <laughs> it's not stated in this in this state, and it looks like that. I don't think that's official yet, but that's what the board um, for Division One intercollegiate athletics for the NCAA has pre- presented. Um, now, while we're on the topic of NCAA, yeah. holy shit! What a rudderless clusterfuck they have been in this whole thing. Now. What I didn't expect, here's what I didn't expect. I I never expected them to come out and say, here's the plan, all conferences have to follow this. I never expected that because, let's face it, the NCAA does not have that type of leadership ever. They've They've never been that type of leadership. But what I did expect is, hey, here's maybe some, some minimum type, um, parameters and protocols that we want you to issue or, you know, here's our opinion on the subject. You do that with what you will. Yeah. But they're essentially playing the zero liability game here and saying, if we don't say anything about what conferences decide to do, we have zero liability and what happens should things go south. The, the only thing the assholes have said is you can't make kids sign a waiver of liability. Okay. That's, all, that's the only thing they've said, which is kind of like, you, you, now you're you're putting the conferences in even a tougher spot because now because the conferences the schools can lay out listen you sign this you can't sue us it's your decision to play if you don't want to play you can sign this and opt out or you can opt out and that's fine you know what's funny though that I, I mean I had to sign a medical waiver when when I played football um, so it's it's interesting that that that's not something that could apply here but yeah. I mean I, I understand that there are certain things that essentially as long as there was no gross negligence by a university or anything that happened on the field, then that's, that's what it is. Well, I mean, you know, we see all this in, 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 you know, they've done nothing. So let's just throw them out because they're, they're worthless basically. But I'm going to ask you this. The conferences make the money. NCAA does not make the money. Yeah. Seeing them even more without structure, without power. And I, I talked to my neighbor tonight. Um, he's a UVA and a VT grad. And it, is it is this when the Power Five break off and just say, You're, you guys are morons, you have no structure. We're going to create our own. We're going to essentially, we, we're going to have a commissioner. They're going to give us guidelines. They're going to give us protocols. They're going to give us everything we need to do. It, it, could this happen? Could I we think see- I think it could. I think you're going to see potentially up to three things coming out of this whole debacle. Um, you're potentially going to see player organization in some way, shape, or form, even if it's not a union. Um, quote marks there. Um, there, I think there will be some some type of player input more than what is in place now for the both at the conference level and at the NCAA level. Um, I think there's the potential to expand and maybe even refine further some of the ideas of name, image, and likeness and potentially direct payments to players. Um, you know, at this point, 
the conferences are assuming some risk. The players are assuming more risk than that. The NCAA is assuming nothing. Exactly. So at this point, if we're talking about these as separate institutions, I think you could see the players having a little bit more leverage here. Like they've, they've essentially been asserting leading up to this. So that would be in play. And then lastly, as you've already mentioned, conference realignment, breaking off of the power fives away from the NCAA altogether, um, potentially reforming, you know, super conferences, depending on how that alignment shakes out. That that's, that's another conversation, but yeah, I definitely think there is going to be some degree of fallout from this. Uh, And another question is the big 10 even going to exist you're seeing Nebraska and things like that. And and I'm not sure how that's going to look. Coach day has seemed to fall in line as has Penn state, but I don't know if uh, the guys at Michigan and some of the other schools are going to, you know, fall right in line. So that's going to be interesting to see not only, I don't think it's going to be a quick death, but I think you're going to start seeing if there's not some sort of leadership, adjustment made for this conference there's going to be uh, schools that get wet feet about their association yeah my opinion is it could be dead quick because they're about to lose 250 million dollars in revenue and i'm gonna and, and people say well what about basketball um they pretty much already laid it out it's not safe to play sports Unless there's a vaccine or unless there is a significant change in what's going on with COVID in the next, you know, what, four months? Yeah. How do they play basketball? They've already they've already put themselves behind the eight ball on that. So $250 million out. Revenue is just to shit. You see the leadership. They're coming out and, they're, and we got to cut. It's also a perception of the players. Tell me right now, if you're a player and it's going to be in their head, you know, we started talking about organizing and wanting to seat at the table. These these sons of bitches just ended it like no, done. We're not playing this year. The other three conferences are trying to push forward. They haven't mentioned anything about a player organization, but they're trying to put forward. It clearly did not scare them to a point of you know, we need to shut it down. We're going to say medical reasons, but you know, we see the cause and effect. Well, the the joke was that you know SEC has been dropping bags already. They're not afraid of a little bit of organization. No, no. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we kid, we kid, but we don't. We but kid. we kid. <laughs> it definitely happens. Um, and if anybody says it doesn't, they're lying to themselves. But the whole piece is going to become: you're a top recruit right now, and we've got one just down the street in Trevion Henderson. Hey, dude. That's where you're going, right? They've already canceled football this year. Done. Yep. You, 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 there's no way to play currently with them. So if you go down in spring, are you going to play spring ball? Well, I'll find a roller. Yeah. But what if that takes a year of eligibility out? Are you going to play? Well, I don't know. It's going to be, and again, if you start hearing the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12 talk about, hey, we're bringing our players to our meetings. They're going to start hearing things. They're going to start getting beneficial. Hey, are, are we doing this? Then they're going to have to answer that question. Yep. And if they say, well, no, this is you're, – you're a student athlete. Oh, cool. Let me, let me back out of my commitment then because 
you're, you're seeing me just as this. The other conferences are looking at me as something else. Um, they've already had, they've already lost one. I want to see the transfer portal too, because, you know, maybe not for this year, but again for next year. Can, can I say this, Ron? What you got? All right. They're losing $50 million. How do you run a business without revenue? You cannot. So we've already talked about they're going to cut non-rev sports. They're going to ask coaches to take pay cuts. Then they're probably going to start letting go of trainers and facilities people because we've got to make budget. Athletic departments cannot run in debt. They have to be level. Yep. That's why you hear so long when they're building these buildings and they're paying for it outright. Well, how? Well, they've been slowly saving the money to build these things. Big donors come in. It's eventually, it could get to a level where I have committed to the University of, give me one that's not one of the big names, Brian. Uh, in the Big Ten? Sure. Let's go with Minnesota. I'm committed to Minnesota. Awesome. Going to be great to have you here. We need to pay half your tuition for the first three years. What? What do you mean? We're 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 cutting everything. We lost sixty million dollars in a year. We don't have the operational budget. We we we've cut the non revs. We've cut our staff salaries. We've cut this. We've cut that. You know, there's only one way, and that's going to be you have to pay for part of your scholarship. This happens in a lot of non rev sports, where players get twenty thirty percent of their scholarship. The rest they pay on their own. That would be the big one because you're committing against somebody for a commit and you know they can't pay full scholarship. Yeah, dude. It'd be nice to make your mom write that check. Come here. You don't have to. It's going to get ugly. It could get ugly, man. You're right. It could definitely get ugly. Like I said, the I feel like um, the Big Ten is going to have more trouble than, than the Pac-12 on that front just because – they do have the big dogs that could negotiate themselves into other conferences in the short term. Yep. Um, I don't think the Pac-12 has teams with the motivation to do so. Nope. And I think just the nature geographically, I don't think you'll see as much of a mass exodus in the transfer portal just because there's not as many overlapping boundaries of the conferences with the Pac-12 versus the rest of the country. It's very much a isolated conference geographically, whereas a lot of the other conferences in the Power Five, especially, there's there's overlap between states, there's overlap between regions and things like that. So, you know, a guy that was playing at Penn State transferring to Syracuse or Virginia Tech or, you know, wherever it may be, that's not much of a stretch. Not at all. And you're absolutely right, man, by that. All right. Well, let's, let's, let's move on, Brian. Um, I kind of feel like the Caleb Flory fallout, he was almost the, the wheel, the, the small snowball that started this when he decided to opt out. Um, a lot of fallout. Um, I'll let you go to what you think of the way some people, 
chose to hmm, – I, I, I don't know the way to put it, Brian. They chose to pick and choose what Caleb said and run with it. Well, I feel like it started with the original article with uh, with PFT. Um, you know, that's where it came from, the, the quotes about – you know, whatever was happening on the field and guys going to Myrtle Beach and all that came out. Yes, it came from words that, that Caleb wrote, but it seemed like based on some of the additional commentary we got that that was kind of like cherry picked lines amongst a much larger statement that was made. And, you know, we've seen kind of what PFT has been doing with their coverage of COVID. Um, and what they think about what a season should or should not look like in this case. So, you know, I'm not saying that it was a politically motivated or a see, I told you so type story, but, um, it kind of, it definitely kind of felt like that. It felt like a couple of the guys in the the Virginia writers kind of ran with it. Um, and then, you know, you get some, uh, some additional information. It turns out that you know it wasn't between the uh, the Zolyak article in the Roanoke Times and what happened on the uh, the Today Show. It's like okay, well that's a slightly different narrative than what we were seeing at first. And I mean, I know the fallback was yes, it was Caleb's words. All we did was report them. Yeah, but you also selectively reported what was being played up at the media at large and not. You didn't source out the you know additional comment commentary. You did try to contact the uh, Virginia Tech athletic department, which is another debacle that we'll talk about right now. Uh, um, why do we have such a hard time of getting in front of a story? No clue. Um, the only thing you can say is is whoever's running the PR does not know what they're doing um, at all. Because it seems very, it, it, I hate to say this, if you put me in charge of PR, I feel like it'd be stuff I'd do because I don't know exactly how to do that thing. But there are some things when you, the second that Caleb said, coach, I'm opting out. First thing that should have been done, Caleb said right there, call PR, Caleb's opting out. We're going to make a statement with it. Yeah, because you so knew we, he was going to make one. You know he is. He <laughs> I was like, Caleb, it's fine. We've had the conversation. Um, I, I, I want to put a press release out if you're okay with it. Or when you make your press release, I want us to release at the same time. So we're on, we're in lockstep of what we're doing here. So yeah, um, you know, it, it, you know, it's just one of those things where it feels like this is where we need to catch up to the times. Uh, you listen to uh, the the Hokey Hangover podcast with. Uh, with the uh, Mike and Ricky, Mike and Ricky with Andrew. Dave, but yeah. remember okay, the, Dave. we've talking about the way they run donations. He's like, this is mom and pops. Look what you have here. You can't run this like mom and pops. You have to run this like a corporation. This is what it feels like with the PR. Um, now, luckily, Mike Nizola crushed this. How cool was on today's show crushed it. Because I watched that, and if you read and then saw Caleb's words, you'd be like, this guy didn't say the – this is not right. Very complimentary of Coach. Mike went deep into it. Um, and, you know, 
it, it, it sort of it, it sort of died quick because when all that stuff came out, it was just kind of like, oh, it's a nothing burger. We got the bad press. We probably not going to get enough positive press to keep it going. But you know what? It got resolved. And best of luck to Caleb. I do think he is going to be a star in the NFL because you don't teach running 24 miles an hour. No. He's going to be a star, dude. He's going to be a big-time star. And just to, like, piggyback a little bit on that, man, it's frustrating because when you don't have good PR and when you don't get in front of a story, everything that comes out after that feels like damage control even when it's not. Absolutely. You know, the thing about, uh, you know, honoring um, a player's scholarship even if they opt out, we had already made that decision days before Caleb even announced. Yeah. And yet that wasn't something that was stated publicly until after this whole negative story hit. So that's something if you just communicate a little bit more, let things be known, you know, it's not grandstanding or patting yourself on the back. Sometimes it's just stating here is our policy. Yep. You know, you don't have to look at everything that is a positive as something that, you know, you don't want to be backslapping yourself. No, just, State your policy, be transparent, so that way if there is a situation like this, you've already got it in print that that's your decision. You don't look like you're covering your ass after the fact. Absolutely. And you feel like it's, it's, it is slowly changing, the door is slowly opening, but not fast enough. You know, I, I think what they need to understand is you can, you can open it up. Com- it's almost the French door aspect. You can open up this side where people can see in and keep the other one closed or cracked to a point where they can't see everything. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. All right. So let's just do some hokey headlines here. Um, lots of stuff going on, but we've had some good news. The first, Brian, guy you like a lot, Cole Nelson commits to the Hokies, the three-star out of Alpharetta, Georgia, down at Johns Creek. 6'3", 230 defensive end, um, you know, not a lot of big offers, solid rating. What do you think we're getting from a uh, from Coleman? I mean, he's an underrated guy, I think. I mean, I'm not saying that just to, you know, blow smoke up your ass here. Um, <laughs> rated 86, I mean, I think he's better than that. He's going to be a guy that's going to make some plays for us. Um probably pretty quick in the process. I like him probably in the same ballpark as I liked, um, you know, the tape on Alec Bryant in a lot of cases. So I feel like they're the same type of player from a, from a size perspective perspective and what they like to do on the field. So I think we're getting a really good prospect with him. I'm looking forward to getting him, um, in Blacksburg. Um, you know, once we close out this year, hopefully we can get some, uh, some traction on getting some, some more official visits here for a lot of these kids. I know he's already visited once, I believe. Um, but it would be nice to get some of these kids back on campus, even if it's not to watch a game. Yeah, just to get them back on campus and get them comfortable with the surroundings would be awesome. And, and you look at him, he, at 6'3", 230, he's not far away from a playing weight. Um, you probably even feel comfortable saying if he comes in first year weighing 235 pounds and he shows good, you can find ways to get him on the field. Um I do think I think uh, we are. Let's see, we're a week away from bump for two four seven. Their yep. re-range. I think you could see him maybe go up a little bit, but either way, it's a steal. Uh, loving that wasn't where it ended though with recruits, Brian. We got one of the O linemen, 
Uh, Bryce Goodner, Athens, Tennessee, McMinn High School, no rating for 247. So what we always do when there is a no rated guy, Brian, where Look is at the tape. Look at the, Look tape, at the tape and your number. All right. 6'3", 300, big boy. Big boy. This is a guy that pushes folks around. <laughs> um, he gets out. I watched a couple plays where he was out there leading leading on a couple sweeps, and this guy can get out in, in space and block. But just inside the tackles, he can push put folks around. I really like this guy. I, he was on um, – who was he on with Sons? He was Sons. on with Sons, yeah. And just right away, as soon as he's he's been a Hokie, he just seems like he's he's like that prototypical – like hokey offensive lineman from a mentality standpoint, I, I really dig that. So I'm okay. excited about this guy. I think he's going to be probably about an 85, 86 okay. um, initial ranking. I think he's, you know, it, it's shocking that he doesn't have something out there. Um, I don't, I don't think he's going to be in a low three star range, but I don't think he's quite in that fringe three four area either. I think he's kind of right in that 85 range. But hey, if he can clean up pass pro, if he can clean up pass pro he's going to be a monster because he can definitely um, run block. Like very few people can coming in. Um, something else he was, he said on sun shout out, Billy, Pat, Grayson, vice told him he's going to play center. And Brian, I'm going to, I'm going to rattle off a few things where he has offers from and tell me if it jockeys he's going to be at center, the air force Academy, the Naval Academy, Harvard, Yale, Pin Cornell. Does it shock you that they're moving him to center? Nah, he's got something upstairs. He's gonna be making some calls. <laughs> yeah, he's already got the size. You've already talked about his run blocking. It's getting in the past pro. Let me ask this, Brian, because you talk about that's what he needs to clean up. Will he have less to clean up that he's gonna be going even further inside? Uh, it's definitely gonna help because he he has less to do with set, more about just the technique and being able to you know, snap his head back, get a good punch, make sure that, you know, there's no initial penetration um, on the interior because that's where he needs to establish a pocket at the front front half of the line there. I mean, I know there's been a lot of talk about, you know, comparing him with Brock in terms of, like, that motor and being able to just completely take over a guy on the inside from a running perspective. So I think moving him inside is going to help him um, leverage some of that uh, – you know, some of the struggles he may have in the in the in pass blocking. So I think it's going to be a good thing for him. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready to. We'll see him get that uh, recruiting bump in a week from now. We'll see the Hokies ratings go up. Um, although this guy next, I want to talk about Brian. He's not a high school guy, but an FCS transfer from Villanova, Changa Hodge, transferring in. If he can play this year, six one two hundred pound. Last year at Villanova, sixty five receptions. 1,118 yards, 13 touchdowns. Um, yep, he, he's taking the step up. Um, but, man, those numbers, that's a CAA schedule. Yeah. Can CAA I throw this out there? Yeah. You, you know what he did against JMU? Uh, let me see. Yeah, but I eight, find. eight catches, 134 yards. Woo! And they lit him up for 390 total passing yards in that game. So he he accounted for you know, about 40% of those yards. Um, so that's, that's a pretty big thing there. I mean, it looks like he runs really good uh, routes. 
um, really good against, you know, one-on-one and press. So I like what he's doing. I mean, I, I'm not sure if he's going to be a guy that's going to press for, you know, the first three wide receivers on the field, but definitely is going to help with our depth, which is what we need a lot after some of our departures. So, you know, nothing to complain about there. Love the ad. Absolutely. Now I'm trying to figure this out because I'm looking at it here. I, is he a junior this year or is he a senior this year? That is a great question. Um, from all I've heard is that he was immediately eligible. So, you know, you talk about building depth and, and something else while I'm looking this up, is this going to become a trend too? Are guys at the FCS level who have breakout seasons going to bust their asses to graduate and get one or two years eligibility at the FBS level if they put the production out there? I mean, we're starting to see it a lot more. And I think as more and more FBS teams get used to the transfer portal, we're starting to see a lot more of it. Um, you know, I think in the past we saw – you know, a team might take a chance here or a chance there on these players, but I think with the transfer portal and guys that are already, you know, your roster is already more fluid than it used to be. So you're you're going to take these risks on guys that have a big body of work versus maybe a guy that's more of a project that has potential but hasn't shown it on the field. So you're usually weighing that in terms of the transfer portal. You got. I mean, rarely do you see, like, true stars in the transfer portal. Usually you see guys that have had either are with Power 5 teams that either had a decent season or, you know, sparked here and there but didn't get a lot of opportunities that want to potentially see their their reps go up or they want to start somewhere else. Or, you know, guys like, uh, you know, Changa Hodge here that had a really good season – uh, at a Villanova that wants to step up their game to the next level. Yeah. And, and, he, and, he, and he gets a chance this year because when the FCS cancels, well, I'm, I'm going to try to shot myself. Yeah. He is a senior, but in this, what we just read with the eligibility, if he's not quite there, you want to make a bet that they don't say, hey, dude, just chill. You're not going to play this year. You'll go through spring. You'll go through a full fall camp and you'll have the opportunity to play next year as a redshirt senior. So um, I like it, man. I like it. Now, Brian, what also has happened is our head coach, Justin Fuente, at his first press conference and said a couple things. Um, uh, the ones that did not shock well, – that kind of shocked me uh, that because, again – it's quiet. You don't hear much. Jaden Cunningham uh, essentially injured his Achilles last winter. He's still recovering. He will not be. He's going to be doing online classes. Um, and, again, the the way everything we're reading, if he doesn't play, he still has two more years of eligibility, which essentially helps long-term with defensive tackle depth, um, which we know inside is where you need a lot of depth. And then the other one was Colbeck strictly focusing on track. I think that's a lot of sense for him. Um, I, you know, you see, you see some of his times. I, I think, I think Cole now is probably looking at, can I make the Olympic team? Maybe not. Heck, maybe even next year, maybe in four years from now or some of those other games. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that's true with him. And, you know, it clears up an extra, um, 
extra look there at the running back position. I know he was more uh, scout team look and things like that, but it, you know it, it's definitely another spot on the roster for a running back. I know we got a stacked room there already, uh, but we do have some guys that are more versatile that flex out at different positions. So I think that room's going to be really interesting to watch if we can get the season in this fall and especially even going into next year. Absolutely. Um, other one, um, Tawan Garbett, uh, you know, he, he is absent right now um, from the Hokies. It's it's non-COVID, non-discipline, just some family things going on. Um, he's on scholarship. He's in school. They don't know if he'll play. Um, Garbett was going to be looked at as that, you know, potential starter, if not first guy in. Um, missed some time last year, had some really good plays. Um, you know, 31 tackle, one sack. I don't think it kills us. Some people think that without him, it's going to significantly hurt. I think with Reed, with Belmar, some of the young guys stepping up, um, you know, Beatles and Brian and Wooten, it's not going to kill us. So it's again, it's one of those things. If it's a family matter, whether it be a family member sick, some other things going on. Hey, dude, read what the NCAA just said. Take your time. Come back. You still have time to play. Yeah, and I mean, even if he decides at some point in the season, if he plays less than 50% of the season, he's getting this 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 year for free. So he may be able to help us in crunch time if he, you know, feels comfortable with coming back to the team at that point. So, you know, there's potential there, but obviously we want him to to take all the time he needs. It definitely hurts um, because I do think he was going to be the guy playing opposite Reed as the first guy out there. Um, I think that that Belmar does well, and I think he's going to be the guy that's going to probably get most of the reps with Garbett out. Um, but I've, I would have liked to seen what Garbett could do as that first line there and with Belmar being the first guy rotating in. But, you know, we'll see what happens, but uh, wish him nothing but the best. And, uh, you know, he'll be back with us when he can. So um, we're also still, unfortunately, waiting <laughs> on a NCAA waiver for Raheem Blackshear. You know, um, just play him. <laughs> <laughs> Put him out there. See what they say. Well, we don't have any right. Fuck you. You you don't have any control anymore. Like you just don't play him against UVA, so they can't take that game away from us if we win the cup back. <laughs> <laughs> nah, screw that too. We won't give him the cup back. No, it's ours, bitch. No, nah, um, we won on the field, man. I don't care if the NCAA says that he was ineligible. Yeah. These assholes didn't help us do anything when we were trying to get prepared for a season. But um, in reality, with the Blackshear thing, what it works irritating is he put in his request in January. And his request was my coach, the guy who recruited me, got fired. I don't want to play there anymore. I don't care who. The normal coach change, usually it's done. He did it in January. JT Daniels did it in May. He's gotten approved. Tua's little brother did it in May. He's got approved. There's a couple other guys who got approved who did it pretty quick. Seems like that the NCAA really don't care about when you do it. It's about who you are and the position you play. So, you know what? Or the team you're transferring to and from. Transferring to. Um, Although it's funny now, Tua's little brother can't play this year, bro. Um, But the big piece is just fucking playing. What are they going to do? What can they do? Screw them. And and it's getting to a point where, you know, what they need to do, honestly, 
is just go ahead and say any transfer, it's it's automatic play. We're not we're not making decisions because of this stuff. Uh, Brian, uh, coach said one other thing that kind of caught your ear, and then kind of caught your ear about with a uh, guy we talked with a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. So uh, spoiler alert to all the Hokies out there. There is an open quarterback competition. Now that's what he said. And I think uh, this goes back to another problem that coach Fuente sometimes has is that he says something, but means something slightly different. And what I think he means here is that, you know, he's paying lip service to these players. He wants to motivate them. He wants to get the most out of them at practice. He wants them to push each other to be the best they can be. And I think that's his way of doing it is saying, essentially, you have to earn this position every day. You're not being given this position. You have to earn it every day. That's not saying that the position is not Hendon Hookers. I think it is Hendon Hookers. But I think he wants him to approach each day of practice like he's still earning that spot. Whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing, that's your opinion, but I think that's my interpretation. I don't think that there is an open quarterback competition that he doesn't know who his starter is going to be. I think he knows and wants his starter to be Hendon Hooker, but he's not going to start him unless he goes out there and, and earns that every day and gives him the effort and the um, – performance and practice that he needs to see that that he's progressing forward in his game so that's my thought and that goes back to something when we had john mclaughlin on a couple weeks ago he was talking about that when it came to when coach vice came in on the offensive line his last year there and saying essentially you know none of these positions are set in stone hell what part of the line you play in isn't set in stone we're going to put the best five out there as far as who's who's practiced well that week, who's done well. We might get to a point where we say, okay, these five are the best five, and as long as they're doing the right things during the week, those are the starters. But that's not settled until it is settled. And I think you've got a, a similar situation here at quarterback where, you know, he knows who his, his best guy is, but he wants to keep pushing that best guy to get better. And I, he thinks the best way to do that is – essentially saying it's your, you know, is it, not saying it's your spot to lose saying it's open, claim it. Yeah. Go out and play. Um, and I, I don't, I think Hendon is the starter. I know people talk about, you know, apparently Braxton looked good in practice and stuff, but it's like, you know what Hendon can do. Hendon had you on the verge of eight wins, no losses on the verge. Um, and you saw his progression. And I tell you something, just looking at some of the pictures and some of the videos, Hendon looks like he's got a lot more cut up and dude, somebody said it on Twitter. And me and you kind of peeked at that. That release looks a lot faster than it did last year. And I know it's in practice, but it just, it, it's almost like flicking that thing so much quicker, man, which, with who we have at wide out, and I know some people think we're thin, we're thin, but we have guys, if they stay healthy, it's a dangerous core. Yeah. So, yeah. All right, Brian, anything else, anything dropping while we're sitting here talking, watching sports, seeing – Nothing came across my board that I feel like we need to talk about, so I think we're right. good, man. So let, let me ask this, guys. Do you think – 
that the Pac-12 and the Big Ten pulled the plug way too soon on this season. My opinion is absolutely they did. Way too soon because when we're looking at potentially you could push this thing back six or seven weeks, yeah, you you screwed the pooch on that. Brian, any disagreement? I'm right there with you, man. I mean, if you're talking about you know starting a season as late as the first or second week in October potentially and you're making a decision now, knowing that these students are going to still be on campus but saying you're not going to play football – Here's my thing. If that's where you're, that's where you think you're heading, push the start of the season back, get the kids on campus, give it two to three weeks, see if there's any sort of surge on campus, and then make a decision based on actual numbers and not on whatever your gut feeling is. Right now, everything is about risk assessment based on a, like macro details and not on the micro details of each individual institution and each individual conference. So I feel like they waited, they they didn't wait long enough to make the decision that they made because it's a very, it's a very drastic decision that's going to impact a lot of different aspects, not only of the sport, but of each school and their communities. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. All right, well, that is going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. What are we in, about an hour plus one? <laughs> so, my name is Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe for the podcast on your favorite source, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. As always, we let our friend Jason Long play us out. Catch him on Spotify and Apple Music. We thank you for listening. And as always, let's go. Okie. Okay.